I had to order another recycling container, which cost me another 600 US dollars to actually recycle the components that we couldn't use. We've been losing a lot of time for production. And at the end of the day, it cost me one and a half times as much as supplier A. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I will be your worst podcast host today. And I'm here with featured guest, Mike Meissner. Mike, are you ready to rock? I am ready. That's great. And I, I can say that we've just been chatting for a while and I really appreciate your passion. It's exciting. So I'm looking Thank forward to this. Let me tell the audience a bit about you. Mike is an entrepreneur, a people-oriented leader, and an industry expert in logistics and supply chain management, as well as biological and environmental testing. He proudly wears 20 years of professional experience in many countries across Europe, the Middle East, the Americas, in Asia Pacific. In fact, he was very close to me here in Thailand. And over those places, he built various businesses. And as he says, just for the pleasure, really. But now he's into some serious stuff. So Mike, take a minute and fill in for tidbits about your life. Yes, thank you for having me on the show. In fact, I have just started a new company about six months ago. And out of an idea, out of pleasure, curiosity, we have started a company called LabsLocks, combining logistics and supply chain and biological and environmental testing, basically, with a few features, new products, pioneering stuff in the market. Mm. Well, you answered a question before we got on the, the recording. And I always wonder when I looked at a, a medicine bottle of, let's say, uh, vitamins, and it says on the bottle that, you know, this should be kept in a cool, dry temperature. And I'm thinking, now, wait a minute, this has just been shipped all the way from America over to Thailand. Are we saying that this has been guaranteed that this has been in some cool environment on a plane or something? No way, it can't be. And so you've, you've actually, you know, maybe you can just briefly tell the audience what you're doing and why it's probably very unlikely that many of the things that we thought were protected probably aren't. Correct, correct. Usually if you order vitamins or any pill, a supplement, a, a drugs, they have to be stored between 5 and 18 degrees. That's the general margin. Below 5 degrees, above 18 degrees, they will actually lose concentration, which means they lose effect. And if they are getting too warm, meaning above 28 degrees, they will actually they may cause a chemical reaction, which has actually side effects for your body, meaning a vitamin could turn into something really, really toxic if it is not stored at the correct temperature. And shipping something from the US to Bangkok, either it is too hot by container, by sea freight, or it is getting too cold and frozen by air freight. So we have invented a box a container for biological samples, meaning pharmaceuticals, vitamins, but also blood urine samples, fresh food, food components. And this box guarantees a certain temperature, which you can track via your app all time along. It tracks humidity as well as it tracks the GPS location of that very journey of your product. And we've been not expecting that. Well, we had an incredible kickstart in the market with this new product. 
Mm. That's exciting. And it kind of reminds me for my coffee business, my business partner and I, Dale, we try to explain to people that, you know, the supply chain of growing a tree, it's got to be the right, you know, species, the right genus of beans. It's got to be grown for three to five years before it really generates the proper, you know, taste and the proper yield. Then when you, it's got to be picked at the right time. It's then going to be processed, usually wet processed, but sometimes dry processed. It's got to be dried in the right way. Any of these steps will cause a bad taste. And then, of course, it's got to be shipped. We had a shipment once that arrived, and under the sacks of coffee beans were onions. We had to reject the whole thing. But it's got to be shipped properly. And then when you get it to the factory, we got to roast it properly. we got to get it in the right bags, make sure it doesn't go stale, get that to the customer and at the, they've got to grind it properly. They've got to store it properly. They've got to extract it properly. The water temperature has got to be great. And if all of those things fit together, you have a fantastic espresso. But if one of those things goes wrong, sorry, it's terrible. It's a terrible experience. And I think that when I think about shipping, I oftentimes think that even if a company in the U.S. could get it right all the way to get to here, what's the possibility that a local, let's say, company doesn't follow that standard? And then, boom, one day the box is exposed to a temperature that's super high and the result is, boom, you've just deteriorated the quality and, as you said, maybe even made it you know, unhealthy when you thought you were getting something healthy. So I'm fascinated with what you're talking about. I think you've got a really cool idea. So that's exciting. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah. compared to coffee or food or food ingredients, the dangerous side or the dangerous part of it, it applies to your blood samples. It applies to your urine samples that the doctor takes. And this is far more life or health threatening than your coffee because your coffee, coffee beans, you can return the beans you cannot return that blood sample. And how many blood samples are being shipped overseas with onions below that? You don't know that. And that's one last thing then before we get into the question. Yeah. One last thing about what you're doing. For most people, we kind of turn a blind eye. We assume that you know everybody's taking care of things well and we don't look into it deeply. But the reality is you probably have looked into it deeply. How bad is it? Like what is the risk? that you're going to a hospital you know, anywhere in the world and you're, you're doing some sort of sample or whatever and that it's getting mixed up, it's getting mistreated and you're actually not really getting the information you know, correctly. Does it happen often? Does it happen rarely? To be honest with you, if I look at the total number, we're looking at a percentage of averagely one and a half, 1.7%. So based on 60 something million in Thailand, it's relatively small. However, mm. if I now look that behind those 1.5, 1.7%, they're patients, they're humans, relating 1.5% to 60 million blood samples. It's a Meaningful. big, big number. Meaning your sample may get switched and you're being diagnosed with something that you don't have. On the contrary, somebody else is diagnosed with something he doesn't have. And if we're talking about cholesterol or vitamin level, Okay, but if we're talking about diseases, cardiac diseases, cancer, this is very serious. How many samples get lost? 
on the way every day because the volumes are too high. There's no digitalization, neither with the logistics companies, neither with the hospitals or the laboratories. How many laboratories don't have the resources and the time to actually pull through? You have to imagine a laboratory averagely in Thailand has about six, 7,000 blood samples per day. And at four o'clock, they have to finish. That means maybe as well that the last 200 they didn't make it into the machinery for analysis. So you would just get a result without having physically analyzed the blood sample. That happens. I'm not talking bad about Thailand. That happens all over the world. And your doctor doesn't know that because he has no influence on that. And this is something we're trying. We don't want to scare people. We just want to try to close the gap and make it more transparent. So you actually have certainty that this what they're doing with my blood sample, with my UN sample, with my vitamin pills, but also with food. How many people are allergic to certain foods? How many people trying to test their tap water, their bathing water due to allergies? And these are all biological samples. And you have to make sure, and we want to ensure that there is complete transparency for you, for the doctor, for the laboratories. This is our, our vision behind that. Got it. So exciting. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Okay. So basically, we, me and a friend had a barbecue. We said, I think after the second bottle of wine, we said, how would it be to invent, to develop a container that is digital, that keeps the temperature, that ensures this transparency for, for consumers, but also for laboratories or, or testing providers. Having this container would be very cool. So we researched the morning after being more sober. We researched intensively the global market and we found out this box doesn't exist. So we started developing from a design, but also from an engineering point, this box. And eventually we came up with a fantastic container in different sizes for different commodities that you charge like a mobile phone for four, four and a half hours. You set your desired temperature, you lock it, and the box guarantees to maintain this very same temperature for the next 72 hours. Plus, we integrated a SIM card. We've been working a lot with the Samsung technologies here. So the batteries are the same lithium batteries that mobile phones use and GPS coordinates, etc., are very similar. So at 50 to 75 meters altitude, the box recognizes it is actually be flying. It will switch into flight mode to not interfere with instruments of the aircraft. And once touching ground, it actually switches back on and up to 90 seconds it will send you push-up notifications as a patient but into an ERP system of a laboratory or hospital it will send you to the patient file what is the current location who's handling your blood sample or your vitamin pill at what humidity luminosity and at what temperature and with this we actually create the transparency. We take away a lot of issues on cold chain, no more dry ice, no more of this ice packages that you freeze and then you put on, on top of the package for your shipment. And so we take away this, we take away the resources. It doesn't matter if your flight is delayed because 72 hours is plenty of time from anywhere in the world to reach its destination. And this box is now going into patenting. It's been a journey of almost nine months now the box is ready we had a successful pilot with our clients everybody's happy so what uh, could and, go uh, wrong 
Exactly, exactly. And people write me, contact me saying, Mike, impressive, and you're living a very cool life now, and great job, and whatever. However, the beginning has been extremely bad. It's been very tough. I personally took a lot of silly decisions, if I may say so. Once we had the box designed from an engineering point of view, we had the assembly and the design document approved by authorities, we started to source the components. And I had a component a supplier from country A, very close to me at $509 all in. And I had a component supplier from country B, very far away, no personal relationship for 240 US dollars. So out of my nature, not being a big fan of the finance and administration parts, I just wanted to get this box done. I wanted to touch it. I was eager to actually put it on the table of the FDA to approve it, but also put it on the table of our customers and say, that's the container we've been talking about it. Let's go. I chose a supplier number B. I didn't know them. Out of distance, I didn't have the opportunity to come see, visit them. Out of COVID, traveling was uh, restricted. Anyway, so I placed an order for 25,000 US dollars. That being a startup without having the first customer <laughs> starting a spending like this. For many companies, 25,000 grand is nothing. If you're a startup, however, 25,000 grand is essential. And we ended up receiving the components six weeks later, being stuck in customs because wrong customs clearance codes been used. We ordered our components to be eco-friendly because we have a huge amount of these boxes circulating with hospitals and laboratories and clients today. So being innovative, we don't want to be pesting the environment with bad materials or components. So after customs clearance, a huge amount of fines being paid there. We received the product, we sent it to an independent testing facility just to give us the confidence of the materials used. We ended up having the worst PVC materials that you can actually launch in the market. So nobody would have ever approved this to be eco-friendly. Plus the materials haven't been thick enough, not dense enough. And I had to order another recycling container, which cost me another 600 US dollars to actually recycle the components that we couldn't use. We've been losing a lot of time for production. And at the end of the day, it cost me one and a half times as much as supplier A, which I didn't want to hear, which I could have gone to. We could have designed and proven components together. We could have quality checked them. They've been just in reach for that. And for this startup, for this company, this has been by far my worst investment and not too much about the quantity spent here, but really the silly mistake of going for the cheap option where you want to create something that hasn't been there in the market yet. You have a great idea, you have a great vision, and then you're actually going for the cheapest in the market. And that has been not only a huge learning point, but also I think one of my most important experiences over the last eight months. And nowadays we, we purchase higher, we invest better quality, higher prices, but we shorten times, less headaches, less issues, and we actually are able to provide what we're promising that we want to provide. And so how would you summarize the lessons that you learned from this? <sighs> um, first of all, I think my biggest lesson here is if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a real entrepreneur, your mindset is focused on commercially. 
you have a vision, you have a great idea, you want to bring this idea to the market, you have to surround yourself with people who back you on all the other essential parts, being administration, being purchasing, because recognizing this from, from and committing this weakness, maybe not weakness, but this part of my personality, I'm generally interested and okay with handling finance, admin, purchasing, but I'm not the expert and I don't care too much about it. I care about my idea, my vision, and I have not met any other entrepreneur over the last years who has been a finance uh, expert at CFO level. Never. It's not going to happen. So surround yourself with the people who can actually fill the gaps and complement the qualities that you don't have because you will not have all qualities that it takes to set up successfully a company. Even though you don't have the general interest or the general speciality in finance, administration, purchasing, quality control, you actually have to sit down. You have to force yourself and get a general schooling, e-learning, physical learning, whatever it is, but you have to know what is going on. You cannot just go for your vision and your product without having the essentials, the pillars that will actually push or not push your company. And this is, I think, my, my biggest learning point is something I have not done, another mistake. Uh, I thought by myself last year, I've been in the market, I've been in so many countries, I've seen so many stories, small companies, big companies, medium-sized companies, I know what to do. I did not know. I didn't have the right tools, and quite frankly, I failed many, many times taking the wrong decisions, not knowing better, not having my budget tight enough or wide enough. And that actually cost a lot of money, cost a lot of resources, a lot of headache, a lot of sleepless nights, I can assure you. And at the end of the day, I didn't save a dime. Meaning if I would have invested some time, some resource, maybe a bit of money into gaining the right expertise on qualities that I don't possess or that are not too important for me because I'm commercial driven, I'm vision driven, I have... Mm -hmm. My ideas, if I would have invested there some time, some, some money, I would have been far better off. I would have been already more successful than we are already today, I think so. But I would have been, and that is the most important, I would have been very conscious of what is going on. I would have taken decisions differently and it would have cost me less gray hair. <laughs> All right, let me share some of the things I take away from it. I mean, the first thing is that I like to tell people when they're starting companies, you know, the most important thing when you're starting a company is don't make the wrong mistake. And the people, people always ask me the next question, well, what is the wrong mistake? And I said, I always say, I don't know. You know, you'll know it when you make it. <laughs> In our coffee business, it was when we bought a ton of coffee many years ago when we first started, 25 years ago thinking that we would go through that in a, in a month. And instead it was like nine months before that was gone, but it almost sunk us, you know? So congratulations, you didn't make the wrong mistake. In other words, you're still surviving, but for all the listeners out there, it's important when you're starting a business, you really got to become a great risk manager. The second thing is, you know, you remind me and I think the listeners also that value comes from your ideas and the implementation of those ideas. When I teach finance, I often tell my students, finance adds no value. 
And what I mean by that is finance is a support function. Finance is a measurement tool. Finance is a feedback mechanism. And if you can understand finance, then you will be able to see where you're at. You'll be able to see the results of your prediction because ultimately management is simply prediction. You come up with a hypothesis at a barbecue next morning, you start to put it all together, you make your Correct. predictions, and then finance is one of the many tools that we use to measure whether your predictions were right. And the other thing, the third thing that I think about is the idea that, you know, you definitely have to hire people around you that are experts in the different areas that you're not. But the point that you make, I take away is that that doesn't mean you can just walk away from all the areas. You still need Correct. to have some basic understanding of what's going on. And Correct. the fourth and last thing for me is simply that sometimes the cheapest option is in fact the most expensive. Any other Absolutely. things you'd add to that? Absolutely. And on the, uh, maybe just adding on the points, I, I completely agree. If you're a startup, if you have a vision, an idea, as I said, you have to surround yourself with people who complement your qualities. But sincerely, as a startup, you cannot afford a CFO. It's just simply not in your budget. Plus, what is a CFO who is used to be working in a metrics organization contributing to a startup where in the evening, and I tell you, on the, on the weekends, I'm driving trucks still because that's what it takes yeah. to build up a company. So it's not like I'm the CEO, you're the CFO, we go our ways now. So that means you have somebody to help you, to support you on a different level, on a different salary range, obviously. Mm. But you need to know what is going on. And if I may use this opportunity, I saw one of your courses you just recently promoted on, on social mm -hmm. media. And I've been strolling through it and I thought, man, if you would have given me this opportunity nine months ago, things would have been very differently. And I mean that honestly, because it's not very complex it's not very complicated somebody like me who has no interest in finance actually i was able to understand that very easily and i took a couple of key features where i said uh-huh you see and this is what i did wrong and here and something like this you don't have to go to super expensive schools and whatever no it's sometimes it's a good course compact to the point plus surround yourself with a couple of people that actually support you on administration finance and i think these are very very important parts for your startup hr and these kind of things are coming far later mm. along the way but to control your budget to set your budget to know where, how to purchase, negotiating, attacking your incomes and your spending. I think it is super, super essential. And this is, for me, the biggest learning point. And look, after 20 years being a successful professional with many ideas, with many good projects I have done in the, in the past, this is something took me 20 years to learn that now. And I just, <laughs> yeah, it is like that. And I just, I just wish that my fellow visionaries, other people with great ideas, and there are plenty of people out there with great ideas, don't have to commit the same mistakes because great. it is obvious that this can be avoided. So the course that you're talking about is my course I've recently written called Finance Made Ridiculously Simple. And Correct. it's a course that I've been wanting to make for many years. And in fact, I had an executive MBA course that I taught a couple of months ago. And I thought that's my time that I've really got to get this together. So I ran it through with my executive MBA students and I tested it through with that as well as my valuation masterclass students. And basically I've tried to make it as simple as possible. So I'll put a link in the show notes for anybody out there that wants to get into the financial aspect, but not in a complicated way. 
Fantastic. So based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Think before you act. Take a step back. Try to listen to more than two, three, four opinions in the circle of your family and friends, but also outsiders. If you can with your competitors, that is also helpful. But as an entrepreneur, you have a vision you're not patient, you want to go for it, take a step back, sit down, relax. If you lose a day or two, that won't change anything in your success. And it's the opposite that actually can help to accelerate your success. I think this is the biggest part and concern yourself with the pillars that are creating the basis of your idea, of your company, of your organization. And the pillars are not only sales and visions and great ideas. Yeah. Great. Think and listen. Ladies and gentlemen, that's fantastic advice. Well, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Continue growing the way we grow. We don't want to be the biggest just yet. I promised all my teams that for the next 18 months, we will be safe and sound. I want to improve our products and our services. And within 12 months time, we want to start expanding into other geographies. Exciting. Well, I'll be looking forward to, to watching your progress. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Mike, I want to thank you again for coming on the show, and I want to congratulate you for being one of the brave ones. I say brave because when I ask most people to come on the show, they say, no, Andrew, I'd prefer to talk about my winners. And you have now turned your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? No, I, I thank you very much. Uh, I feel honored to be on the show. And I hope it is a uh, useful advice for all the other people out there having a vision, having an idea, on the edge of starting something. I encourage you to follow your dreams, do it right, take the learnings from me and from others to not commit the same mistakes. Fantastic. Well, I also want to thank you for focusing myself a little bit on my course because my course originally I was thinking about corporates, corporate training and some financial experts, but I didn't really think about the idea that there's a lot of startup folks out there small business owners that they need to know finance and they don't have a place to go that they can get it down. So thank you for helping me with that. My pleasure. My yeah. pleasure. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is Andrew Stotts, your worst podcast host for today saying, I'll see you on the upside.